Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Everybody survived this nice and snowy St. Patrick's Day? Oh, this is always the time of year that I wish I lived somewhere a little bit more south. But needless to say, we are here, and we are glad that you are here as well. We are, if you're new with us, we are going to be continuing our three-month journey through the book of 1 Peter. And we're wrapping it up. We've got this week and next week left. I hope it's been something for you that has been as beneficial as it has been for us as a staff. Um, it's been really good. Normally we are a church that does topical sermon series, and so we'll do that. And this, these last three months, we've just went verse by verse. And it's been so life-giving, and I think it's, been, it's shown God's faithfulness through whatever we're going through, whatever we talked about that week was so applicable to what we needed. And so just been thankful for that. Hopefully it's been good for you. Today we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 19. And as a reminder, last week we talked about, as followers of Jesus, that we need to start adhering to the teachings of Jesus. And there are some things that we need to leave behind and start to strive forward towards as we follow him, and that that's going to take time and training. We talked, called that as transformation or spiritual transformation or formation takes time and it takes training. This week we're going to talk a little bit about what some of those training exercises or practices will look like. And we're going to spend some time there as Peter kind of walks us through what that looks like and how as followers of Jesus we can interact with the world around us. So we'll be in 1 Peter 4, starting in verse 7, and it says this, The end of all things is near, therefore be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. In preparation for this, you read that first verse in 7, it says, the end of all things is near. And so I took a little bit of time because that's kind of a shocking statement. I was curious of what Peter was talking about as he was writing to the early church. And after doing some research, it was this, there's kind of twofold that he's talking about. One, he is talking that judgment day is, is near, that the time of the Lord's return is coming, so we need to be able to be prayerful and be ready to pray at any moment. At the same time, he's also talking about the reality that the way that we live, the way we have lived, is changing. So we talked last week about how we are going to leave our evil desires and chase after God. And as we do that, the end of the way that we used to live is over, and now we are going to start living in the kingdom of God. So again, Peter's doing what Jesus would do often in the Gospels where we hear him say, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. So he is talking a little bit about the kingdom of God being near from the standpoint of Jesus is going to come back and we are closer now than we were yesterday or the day before. But in all reality, the thing that is nearest is the fact that we have left our old way and are starting to walk as Jesus has invited us to walk. 
The version of the Bible that I use to do a lot of my personal devotion and study is the New International Version, and it's the 1984 um, translation. And so that's where I have a lot of my scripture memorized or I'm familiar with. And I love the way that it's translated there. The translation there says, we must be clear-minded and self-controlled. Clear-minded and self-controlled, which means it's going to take intentionality on our part to make sure that we're ready to pray. And in our culture today, we need to be ready to pray often. Things are going to happen. We are going to be bombarded by all kinds of different things in life. We talked last week about how the persecution that was going on, which forced the people who are reading this original letter to flee their hometown. So they're living as strangers and aliens in a foreign land. So they needed to, they were going to experience tough times, difficult circumstances. The same is true for us today. Some of us are experiencing difficult circumstances. I don't know what you've been walking through this week, but more than likely something has happened this week that's been a difficult circumstance. And what do we run to in difficult circumstances? A lot of times we run to food or we run to alcohol. Maybe it's even we, we run to exercise, and we need to exercise to get that out. And that's not that in and of itself that's a bad thing, but where's our first place that we go? Maybe it's shopping. Maybe something bad happens, and you just need to go spend money to therapeutically feel better. Maybe it's binging Netflix. That, you know what, I've had a really tough day today. I want to check out of everything that I've went through, and I'm going to go to comfort in my television. What God wants us to do is first go to Him. And when things get tough, we can be clear-minded and self-controlled so that we can pray and we can go to Him in times of difficulty. As I was preparing for this, I thought about this group. Three years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Haiti on a missions trip. And it was a house-building trip, so we spent most of the week building a house for a family of one of the people in our church that they had a kid they were sponsoring. But one of the things we got to do as well is on Thursday morning of that week, we got to go to their prayer meeting. We were invited to go, and so we had, were told the night before to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to meet this lady out front of the compound. We met her there at 3.45, and she walked through the streets of this little village with a megaphone, screaming through the megaphone where their prayer meeting was going to meet. The prayer meeting met at this house, and they would rotate from different house to house throughout the week, but they met every day, Monday through Friday, from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. And in Haitian culture, they were probably going to start work about 6.30, and they would work a 10 to 12-hour day. But they wanted to start their day with prayer, and so they would meet for two hours for worship and for prayer. And we were a part, we got to have the opportunity to be a part of this prayer meeting. And it was probably the most impactful part of the trip for me because I got to see these people who were devoted to prayer no matter what. So as I said, they met Monday through Friday, 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., two hours of prayer time, and they had now been doing that for 31 years. 31 years of meeting together to pray early in the morning. And some of, there are some people who have been in that group for all 31 years. And the day that we went, the lady who was walking through and shouting throughout the streets with, as a parent of young kids, I could not believe if somebody was walking through my neighborhood screaming on a megaphone at 3.45 in the morning. But in the midst of that, 
we found out that her son had tragically been killed two days before that. And so through a translator, we were talking to her about that, and, and, and the question was asked, why are you here today? Why are you not home? And she said, where else would I rather be than to be here with my brothers and sisters who I've been praying with for decades? This is where I need to be. And it struck a chord in me because that would be something in my, if we, if we were here in America, if you were going to miss a prayer meeting, if you were going to miss small group, if you were going to miss Sunday morning because there was a tragic loss in your family two days prior to that, we would say, yeah, take your time. You need your time to heal. Be away. We'll cover everything for you. But the reality for her is she didn't need to be away from her community. She needed to be with her community and she needed to be ready to pray. And the people with her needed to be ready to pray with her and for her in that time. Prayer is a powerful thing, a powerful practice that we need to engage in our life. Peter gives us three of these practices that we need to put into place. Three of these practices that are going to help us as we grow, as we follow Jesus. And the first one he gives us is that we need to be training in love. And this is something that we talk about often here at Calvary. We've done sermon series on what it looks like to love like Jesus. And I can understand as a male sometimes, that's a hard thing to talk about, right? What's it look like to love? To, be, that, that, that's, to us in our culture sometimes, that feels so feminine. So what does it mean to, to understand and to feel God's love and to show God's love to others? That can be a little bit confusing, but it's foundational to everything that we do. It's foundational to everything that we do. How we love each other, how we love God, communicates to the world that we are followers of Jesus. One of my favorite passages is John 13, 34 through 35. It says this, A new command I give you to love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And we talked last week about being a disciple or being a follower of Jesus means that you adhere to his teachings. And one of Jesus' main teachings that he gives us, how we are going to be known that we are followers of Jesus by our family, by our friends, by our co-workers, neighbors, is how we love one another, how we come alongside one another. And so I was looking into this a little bit, and that word deeply that Peter uses, that we should love deeply, in the Greek means maximum potential. So we should love to the maximum potential. Because, as then Peter goes on to quote Proverbs 10, 12, love covers a multitude of sins. And when someone has sinned against us, we first need to love them. And if we can't love them, it's going to be really hard for us to forgive them. I've always found in my life that it's so much easier for me to forgive people who have wronged me if I realize how much I love them. And I actually sometimes have to forcibly remind myself, I love this person, I need to forgive them. But if I don't have a love for them in my heart, a lot of times it's difficult for me to forgive. And as people who are forgiven, we should be the first to forgive. And that starts with loving each other deeply. With to the maximum potential, we need to love each other. 
And when we start to love each other, start to put that practice into our life, which again, we've talked about, is going to take time. We need to be patient with ourselves, but we do need to take steps towards it. So once we start practicing that, once we start loving each other deeply, the next practice becomes so much more easier. We offer hospitality graciously. Now, I know before I get a whole bunch of emails this week that say, Drew, we know and you've told us that you are an extremely extroverted person who loves to have people in your home, and it's really easy for you to be hospitable, but I'm not wired that way. It's difficult for me to be around people as much as you're around people. It's difficult for us to have people in our home right now because we've got young kids and it's a mess. And just for us to actually sit down at dinner is a big step. So to try to invite someone else into that seems overwhelming. I hear you. And I understand that specifically with this practice, there are some people that this is going to come really easy to. And when I say the words be hospitable or show hospitality graciously, you're like, oh, that's so easy. I can do that. To others, it's going to sound very disruptive. And what I would say to you is this. There are going to be practices as we follow Jesus that are going to be easier for some and harder for others. How God has wired you and how he has knit you together is going to be different than how he wired and knit me together. And so there are going to be some of these practices or disciplines that we put in our life that are easier than the others. I call the easier ones downstream. So these are the ones like you're floating on a raft and you're just going downstream and moving with the current and you don't even have to think about it. it It's so easy and so natural for you. But then there are going to be some practices and some things that are upstream, that are against your personality, that are against your nature, that you really have to fight for and work on and be patient with yourself through because it's going to take more time, energy, and effort than others. So I fully agree and admit and understand that when you hear the word hospitable, this may be something for you that you don't agree with, maybe not, agree, not don't agree with, but something that you have a hard time practicing. But I think as followers of Jesus, the way that we can be hospitable towards people is going to communicate love to them so much more. And I don't mean that you have to have people in your home. If you remember, Jesus did not have a home to invite people to. And maybe right now you live in an apartment, for you to have people over is really difficult. Or again, you're in a season of life where it's very busy. So having people over and being hospitable with the space that you live in and call home is hard. But what would it look like for you to be hospitable with your time? like Jesus was. The way I I like to think about that is Jesus was interruptible. And so my challenge and question to you is, are you interruptible? Are you able to be interrupted with your time? Are you generous and gracious with your time? This last week, I was reading in the Jesus Storybook Bible to my kids the story of Luke 8. And in Luke 8, we get this account that Jairus' daughter is on her deathbed, and he's running to find Jesus so that he can heal her. So Jairus runs, finds Jesus, says, hey, my daughter's about to die. Can you come with me? And Jesus says, sure, yeah, let's go. So him and the disciples get up, and they start to move and move through the city. But as they're moving through the city, the city's really crowded at this point. It's hard to get through, and they're bumping in and out from people. 
And all of a sudden, Jesus stops because someone touches him. And he says, whoa, someone touched me. And the the apostles, they're in a hurry. They think, okay, this is a really important mission that we're on. We're going to go save this girl who's about to die. And Jesus pauses and says, no, this is different. I felt the power go out of me. Who touched me? And this woman says, it was me. And then she'd been bleeding for 12 years. And just by touching his cloak, she was healed. So Jesus paused and looked her in the eye, prayed for her and blessed her, and then continued on his way. By the time he gets to Jairus' house, Jairus' daughter has passed away, has died. And the first thing his servants say is, you're too late. You should have been here earlier. She's already died. And Jesus knew it wasn't too late. He goes in, wakes her up from the dead, gives, instructs them to give her breakfast. And the part of that story that I want us to pay attention to is this, that Jesus was interruptible. Jesus had a mission. He was on the way to save some girl's life. And if, I'm, if we're all honest with ourselves, none of us probably have something that important going on in our week this week. So are you interruptible? Do people know that maybe you can't be hospitable with your home, but if they call you, they know that you will make time and space to be on the phone with them and to walk through whatever they're going through. That they know that if they need to grab coffee this week, that you'll work it around your schedule to be hospitable with your time and offer that graciously. This is a practice for us that is really important as followers of Jesus. And the hardest part is what Peter tags on at the end, to do so without grumbling. Sometimes it's, it's one thing to open up your home or to be hospitable with your time, but how do you do it without grumbling? I think for me, the way this has practically played itself out as I've thought about it this week, is there's a lot of times that I get a phone call and I look at the name and I'm like, oh, I don't want to take this. I know this is going to be a long conversation. I know what they're going to want to talk about. It. I don't want to pick up my phone right now. I just want to hit ignore and not be so gracious with my time. But that's me grumbling instead of offering hospitality graciously. So my encouragement to this is to think through your week this week of how you can be hospitable, whether it's with your home or with your time, in order to love a neighbor, a coworker, a family member, so that you can continue to transform and be formed into who God has called you to be. The third practice that we see Peter give is that we serve one another or each other faithfully. We serve each other faithfully. Now specifically here, Peter instructs us to use whatever gift God has given you. So all of you should take a deep sigh of relief and should be excited about this one because you know what? God has given us all gifts. This is something that you already have inside of you that God has given you. It's not like, a, like hospitality. Maybe you're not hospitable and that's something you have to work at, but all of us have gifts. All of us, all of us have talents and abilities that we can use for God's kingdom and God's glory. So what is that for you? Maybe you're good with your hands, and for you to fix things or to build things becomes really easy. So there's a neighbor that you can help mend a fence or be able to help with an inside project and would give you an opportunity to spend some time with them that you normally wouldn't spend, 
but you get to use the gift that God has given you to bless somebody else. Peter talks specifically about the words that we use. Maybe you're an encourager and you have the gift of encouragement and God has allowed you to be able to talk to people and encourage them as they speak with you. And he wants you to do that, to use that gift to encourage others. Maybe you're good with technology and for you to set up a wireless Wi-Fi in someone's house is really easy and you could go to the neighbor's house and do that and it would take you all of 10 minutes and would have saved that neighbor all afternoon trying to figure that out. Maybe you have a green thumb and you love to be in the garden and being outside, so maybe you could plant a garden with the hopes of giving some of that food away. Or maybe you live next to an elderly neighbor who he or she can't get out anymore, and for you to go over and take care of their garden, to prune their roses, all of those things is really easy, and so you can do that, and you're going to get enjoyment, and you're going to be able to bless them at the same time. Maybe you are highly relational. Maybe relationship for you is very easy. And so for you to invest in a single parent's child so that she, he or she could have a positive male or female role model in their life other than their parents would be extremely helpful. And you could be generous with your time and invest that way using those relational gifts that God has given you for His glory. The important reminder that Peter gives us here is as we do this, as we use our gifts, we check our motives behind it. That we don't do it for our own glory, we don't do it for our own renown, but we do it for God's glory and God's renown. So check your motives, but use the gifts that God has given you graciously and freely and faithfully to the community around you. One of the examples I thought about as I was preparing for this was a guy named Vern Ridge. Vern Ridge was an older gentleman that went, I grew up going to church with in Indianapolis. He was a war vet, served under Patton, and he had retired from the military, and every Monday and Tuesday morning, he would come in, and he'd bring his toolbox, and Vern could fix anything. And he would walk around the church, notice what needed to be fixed, and fix it. If he needed to go out and buy a part, he'd go out and buy a part and come back. And he did this for years. And the, the thing that I loved most about it is unless you were on staff at the church, you didn't know that he did that. A couple summers I was a custodian and served as a custodian, would do some different projects during the summer. And so I had an opportunity to see Vern in action. And the thing that I loved about him too is he was interruptible. He could be in the middle of a project and I'd walk by and he'd stop and say, hey Drew, how are you doing? And ask me about how basketball was going or how this was going or how that was going. And then he'd get right back to work after that. And he did this for years and no one knew. Finally, Vern was getting up in age. His wife had passed away. He had slowed down quite a bit. And so he invited my dad to become his apprentice. And as my dad was moving towards retirement, he invited him to come alongside and serve alongside him. Vern has since passed to go and been on with the Lord, but my dad now serves faithfully on, during the week with fixing things. And he has a team of guys now with different skills, electricians, plumbers, whatever, that come in and serve the church throughout the week when no one else is around to bless them, to use the gifts that God has given them to be a blessing to the church. And we have people here at Calvary that do the same thing. 
I'm not going to call you out because you do such a good job, but there is a group of people here that we know if we need something fixed, they will be here. They will make time in their schedule. They will be here. They will come and fix it. We also have a group of ladies who come, and they come throughout the week, and they clean the toys in the kids' area. Because as you can imagine, with all the young kids and all the germs and everything being passed around, they come in through the week, and they sit and they clean toys so that our children won't get the germs of other children, and they can try to help us be as healthy as possible. Again, most people don't know that they do that, but they serve faithfully. So what does that look like for you? In what areas of your life can you begin to serve faithfully with whatever talents, gifts, and abilities God has given you for His glory and for His renown? As we continue on here in 1 Peter, as Peter closes chapter 4, he, gives us, he reminds us again of something he has said often throughout this letter. In verse 12 it says this, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come to you on you to test you, as though it were something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of, the, and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or a criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin on God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and to continue to do good. We get Peter's reminder here that as followers of Jesus, persecution is going to come. And we've talked about this here, that for us, persecution looks different, and it's a lot lighter than some of our brothers and sisters across the world. But more than likely, if you are going to be bold for Jesus, whether it's in your classroom, whether it's at your workplace, wherever you find yourself, more than likely, some ridicule is going to come. And we are going to be persecuted, and we are going to be put in a tough place. But we should see it. If we suffer for Christ's sake, we should see it as overwhelming joy as His glory is revealed through it. That we should be thankful that we are seen and are being persecuted as Christ was persecuted. And through all of it, we should remember we are leaving our evil desires and chasing after the will of God. So as we talked last week, when we chase after the will of God and leave our evil desires persecution is going to come. Those evil desires of what Peter talked about there, murder, stealing, or even meddling in someone else's business. Those are evil, sinful desires that maybe we don't worry about the first two, but that third one maybe strikes home a little bit. Maybe you're a little bit more nosy than you need to be. Maybe you tend to talk a little bit more than what you should talk. These are old, sinful desires that we want to leave 
and we want to start chasing after what God has called for us to be, after his will. And if we practice these three things, the other thing that we should be practicing is that we are faithful to who God is and what he has called us to do, and that we continue to do good in the world around us. Could you imagine what our world would look like, how your life would look differently if you just focused on that last one? Just do good for the cause of Christ. Try to make the world a better place today than it was yesterday by loving each other, by being hospitable with one, to, towards one another, by serving one another. If we're able to do those three things, imagine the difference in the world. So those are our Monday morning applications to love one another deeply, offer hospitality graciously, and serve each other faithfully. This is a highly applicable portion of Scripture. And so for us to take these and apply these to our life is exactly what Jesus has called us to do. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of a broken world, how do we continue to do good to the world around us? Being faithful to God and His call on our life and leaving our sinful desires behind as we chase after this idea of being spiritually formed into the image of Jesus. We're going to move into a time of communion now. And the communion reminds us of this, that we have a common unity around the table. That the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are inviting us into a relationship with Him, with them, that we can sit around the table and in the midst of our division and in the midst of our fighting, in the midst of our differences, that we have unity when we come to the table. Because as followers of Jesus, we all recognize our brokenness and our need for a Savior. So as you take the emblems today, the, the deacons are going to come and they'll pass a cup. And as you take that cup that has a gluten-free wafer in it and some juice, just hold it ponder what God is doing in your heart and your life and the hospitality that he has shown all of us around his table. And as we start to think about that, take some time and ask God, what of these three things are you wanting me to do this week? How can I love deeper? How can I be more hospitable? How can I serve more faithfully? Expect to hear from him. Expect for him to give you opportunities to practice that this week. Hold the cup and then we'll come back up and we'll take that together. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We, thankful, we are thankful for these practices that you give us so that we can have better community with each other, that we can commune with you more, that we can, con that we can continue to be formed more and more into the image of what you created us to be. Father, I pray that we are patient with ourselves, Lord, but I also pray that we are intentional with the steps that we take as we follow after you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.